I'm Sue O'Connell in for Kelly Crossley, and today we're talking about where the stimulus money has gone. The federal government rolled out a multi-billion dollar stimulus package in response to the worst economic calamity since the Great Depression. Massachusetts got close to $17 billion of those stimulus dollars, and joining me to talk about where the money has gone and is going is Jack Sullivan. He's the senior investigative reporter for Commonwealth Magazine. Jack, welcome to the Kelly Crossley Show. Thank you, Sue. So a lot of big numbers in this article. How long did it take uh, you and, and the folks over at Commonwealth Magazine to, to get through it? Well, it's, it was probably since the stimulus started, yeah. basically, but... Um, we focused on it over the course of about three months. We uh, wanted to take a look at how it was spent in Massachusetts and where it went because, it, quite frankly, like a lot of other people, we didn't know. You know, the, there's the, the idea of where the stimulus money went, you know, the, what it was supposed to be used for. For You see some signs up around on highway projects and, uh, you know, you hear about um, some – race to the top money uh, in education that saved jobs. But overall, uh, people didn't really have a sense, or at least we didn't have a sense of where it all went. And, and quite frankly, what was surprising is when we looked at it, uh, the the state's piece of the pie was a total of $16.6 billion. And, and it raised, you know, the question is, well, Sixteen point six billion. You want to see more than a few signs laying around, <laughs> right? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Your your shovel ready project started here. Um, you know, this is obviously right in Commonwealth Magazine's wheelhouse in terms of uh, things that you guys cover over there, and. I, there was a lot of criticism justified on the media in general around the lack of coverage of of issues of importance to our economic health as a nation prior to the the, the crash that we've recently experienced. But was there a, a trigger point here that that had you think, okay, this is something we want to look at, or something that was out of whack a little bit that brought attention, other than the lack of signs? Well, I th- I think you hit it on the head. For us, we we have the ability and we have the uh, platform. Um, to be able to look a little bit deeper and a little bit longer into these stories than um, the normal media outlets do. Um, they have the daily pressures on them. They have the um, the space constraints and the time constraints. You know, we fortunately, being a nonprofit and being published by a uh, public policy think tank, like you said, this is right in our sweet spot. It, it's something that we could undertake. Um, you know, whether we succeeded in it or not, that's a, that's another question. But no, I think you have. I think you have. I learned a lot reading um, the article. And w- one of the points um, that I think was really stunning is sort of what qualifies as, as money uh, or, or a project that's shovel-ready or uh, should get stimulus funds. And, and you know, obviously, uh, stimulus isn't supposed to pay for the whole thing. It's supposed to get it started. And in this world we live in right now, uh, saying it needs a shovel to be shovel-ready uh, isn't the same thing. There's certainly a bridge we want to talk about uh, that was built thanks to uh, the stimulus package. But at the same time, Massachusetts received a, a large amount or, or a large portion of that money for research and development. Well, I think that was part of the uh, issue with us when we were looking at it was w- when you hear the term shovel-ready, you automatically think bricks and mortar, mm-hmm. you think highway, you think bridges, you think those kind of projects. And and when when you look at it, and when I spoke with Jeffrey Simon, who was in charge of overseeing the uh, um the spending of stimulus money and the awarding of stimulus contracts in Massachusetts, shovel ready is a euphemism. It's you know it's a project that's ready to go out the door because quite frankly, that was the whole idea behind the stimulus was to get it out the door, get it spent, get it moving into the economy. So the 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 more something was ready um, to to be implemented, uh, the better chance it had of receiving stimulus money, and it, and it didn't necessarily have to be a shovel ready. It just had to be ready. It struck me as the package was announced that we hear so many stories about crumbling infrastructure of bridges and roads that are in desperate need of repair, uh, not just because they they are breaking down, but also because there are there are risks to the public in general. And I was surprised there wasn't more uh, repair going on. And I think a lot of people were. Um, and it, it, quite frankly, I was, you know, when we first looked at it, the, the amount of money that was spent in uh, infrastructure in Massachusetts was, uh, you know, in the vicinity of about $330 million, which uh, 
um, is not what you would would expect out of $16.6 billion for that kind of um, investment. The other part to it is that those are the projects that uh, create jobs right away. They, they, they're middle class. They are, um, they're able to put people to work in, in a blink of an eye. But the other side of it, especially when you're dealing in Massachusetts, is we have a knowledge-based economy. While we may have 8,000 bridges that are considered to be uh, obsolete or, uh, or, or uh, in disrepair, um, we also have some of the world's leading research facilities in, in universities and hospitals. And that's where a lot of the money went to, which is I was very surprised at. Um, when you look at around the uh, country, the amount of money that's spent in, in the different areas, research and development was an average of about 4 to 5% um, in, in each of the state, give or take. In Massachusetts, it was 28% of the total amount of money that we received in stimulus. And that was almost one-fifth of what the federal government put out. So that tells you what kind of an economy we have. Let's talk a little bit about the, the fundamentals of what the stimulus money should do or what the, what the hope is that stimulus money uh, will generate. One, of course, would be jobs. Uh, one, of course, would be, I think, the research and development, which is more of a long-term investment rather than a short-term. And then the shovel-ready pro uh, projects that put folks right to work and spend the money. Is there anything else in that mix? Oh, there's quite a bit, Sue. And, 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 and I guess that's the whole question behind it is what do people think of it? And that's one of the reasons that we looked at it. Um, I, I don't think people realize that unemployment, for instance, um, there was uh, – um, off the top of my head, I forget the exact uh, amount. I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of uh, um, $300 million was spent on unemployment in Massachusetts and other safety net programs. As a matter of fact, there was uh, $4.6 billion total spent on safety net and uh, entitlement programs. Uh, it included things like uh, child uh, support enforcement, um, um, women's um, uh, programs, violence against women uh, foster care and adoption service, food stamps. That was part of the stimulus. Part of it also, and the biggest part of it, both in the state and nationally, was the tax credit basis for it. Everybody got either $400 as an individual, $800 as a couple um, for the making work pay tax credit. Um, there was the $8,000 home purchase credit uh, that people got in Massachusetts. One of the things that they did that not a lot of other states did was make money available up front that people could borrow against for their closing costs and then use that credit um, to repay it. That was part of the stimulus too. But you don't think of that because it's not necessarily a job that's created. However, there were 29,000 first-time home buyers that took advantage of that credit and you have to wonder how many of those homes would have sold without that credit. Mm -hmm. And who in Massachusetts decides where the money goes? How much of this money comes with strings attached to it? And, and how much is just open for folks to allocate? And who allocates it? Well, it, it, technically, it, it goes through Jeff Simon of the uh, state's recovery effort. Uh, he was the um, gentleman who was picked by Governor uh, Patrick to oversee um, all of it. But a lot of it, too, go, uh, only about half of what we got went through that office. Uh, a lot of it was direct grants that came from the federal government to existing programs. That's one of the things Congress did when they uh, passed the stimulus package was to get it out the door as fast as possible. Rather than create a whole new layer of bureaucracy, they started to dole it out through existing programs, through the Department of Energy, uh, through the Department of Transportation, through the Department of Education, and that money got funneled directly to um, local cities and towns for uh, transportation and infrastructure. Um, for, for instance, uh, Chatham, the town of Chatham received a $20 million uh, low-interest loan from stimulus money that allowed them to build a wastewater treatment plant. Um, so that kind of money didn't necessarily go right through the state but went right to the uh, recipients. And then you had some... Um, some businesses in Massachusetts that were recipients of very large grants for alternative energy development. First Wind in Boston, uh, 1366 Technologies out in Lexington. Um, those companies got $171 million, $140 million respectively uh, to develop alternative energy, pro energy programs and wind out in Hawaii or uh, using sugar uh, 
uh, byproducts for uh, alternative energy down in Louisiana, but they're based in Massachusetts. We're talking with Jack Sullivan from Commonwealth Magazine, talking about the federal stimulus package and how it got spent here in Massachusetts. So we've been talking about this bridge, uh, so we should probably let our listeners in on the the, the footbridge, I believe it is. It, it is a gorgeous bridge. Yes, I hope so. Uh, and and I guess within the context of how all the money gets spent, it, it doesn't seem as quite egregious <laughs> as it might. But talk about the bridge that's the footbridge that runs along the uh, the Zakem uh Bunker Hill Bridge. Well, it's actually I mean, egregious, I guess, is in the eye of the uh, beholder. <laughs> <Right>. it's, <laughs> it, it was it was a 700-foot span that went from uh, Charlestown to uh, um, Cambridge, East Cambridge, that spanned the uh, Miller River, uh, which is a runoff of the Charles River. Mm-hmm. Um, which sep- is a river that most people, I don't think, knew existed until the Zakem Bridge went over it. And I am one of them <laughs> as well. <laughs> Um, and it's in the shadow of the Zakem <laughs> right, Bridge right. as well. But what happened was this bridge was part of the mitigation deal between the Big Dig and uh, local neighborhoods to try to connect two very underused park, underutilized parks. Uh, but at the time, the Big Dig uh, hierarchy looked at it and said, we're not going to pay $30 million for this bridge, especially where we paid only $105 million for the Zakem. Um, so they, it was um, uh, put on the back burner. Suddenly, stimulus money gets available, and this is where Shovel Ready comes in. This project was Shovel Ready. The dollars didn't change all that much. It was a little bit cheaper, uh, and they were able to add in some um, uh, greens, uh, greens keeping and, and some other areas. But they ended up building this bridge, re- resurrecting it because it was Shovel Ready. It's a legitimate question. You know, should we have spent $30 million, roughly about $43,000 per foot, um, to uh, build a footbridge that uh, not a whole heck of a lot of people traverse over. You can't see it. It runs underneath the Leverett connector. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know it existed. Uh, you go over, though, and look at it, and it's just beautiful. We're going to have to take a look. Nice, Certainly nice it will design. be on some uh, some tours for some architectural colleges, I'm sure. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Sue O'Connell in for Callie Crossley, and we're looking at how Massachusetts is spending our chunk of the federal stimulus dollars. Jack Sullivan is an investigative reporter for Commonwealth Magazine. He wrote a big piece about it, and he's given us the 411. We'll be right back as the conversation continues on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. WGBH programs exist because of you and Newbridge on the Charles, an innovative senior living community in Dedham. The Platinum Membership Program allows you to become a social member of the community. You can find more details online at experiencenewbridge.org. And Concord Lamp and Shade. We have customers come into the store all of the time who will note that they heard our sponsorship on WGBH. Ann Eckert, owner. Either they're existing customers and were happy that we were sponsoring, or um, they're new customers who came in as a result of listening to the sponsorship on GBH. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit WGBH.org sponsorship. China's growing wealthy class has fueled a demand for racing, pigeon racing. These are the Ferraris of the bird world. They're the most expensive and the fastest. Some birds cost tens, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. China, wealth, and pedigree pigeons. That story today on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4, here on 89.7 WGBH. This summer, you'll count on public radio to keep you connected to stories like this. With Mitt Romney all but certain to be the party's nominee, many voters... President Obama is rolling out an economic message that's squarely aimed at college students. Athletes, journalists, and fans are getting ready to converge on London. Help 89.7 get to the stories you care about and give a little bit more in support of a lot more coverage. To go above and beyond with an additional gift, 
Just click the donate button at WGBH.org. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. It's a great question. What a great question. On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2 here on 89.7 WGBH. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. I'm Sue O'Connell sitting in for Callie. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about how Massachusetts spent the stimulus money it received, uh, which was part of the federal government's multi-billion dollar stimulus package. I'm joined by investigative reporter Jack Sullivan. He's written an in-depth piece on how the stimulus money has been spent for the spring issue of Commonwealth Magazine. Well, Jack, we were just talking about uh, a bridge uh, along the Zakin Bridge, a footbridge, which uh, I think many of our listeners will be going uh, to check out immediately. Uh, Increase the use at least <laughs> and make it worth the, one, the investment. Definitely. But let's talk a little bit about some of the successes of the program. Um, what, what in your view uh, do you think really did, did what the stimulus package's overall uh, goals were? Well, I guess when you look at, you know, the definition of stimulus, like we were talking about off the air, um, the idea that it's supposed to stimulate investment, stimulate economy, I think one of the uh, or two of the areas that you can look at that that really were successes, uh, one is over in Somerville, the uh, old Assembly Square area that, you know, for years has laid uh, uh, fallow and and um, undeveloped. And all, also one of those areas where it was optimistic expected right. to do well and had a lot of false starts. Right. I remember the joke being around that, you know, Assembly Square is the future of Somerville and always will be. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> right. Um, and and um, they, they received about $14 uh, million, um, which, again, in the, in the big scope of things, doesn't seem to be a lot. But what that $14 million allowed them to do was to uh, make a, a main thoroughfare there. Um, to be able to attract IKEA as uh, a potential anchor at the front end of this development uh, and, and put in other infrastructure, water, sewer, uh, utilities, and, and to create the foundation for uh, a mixed-use um, uh, housing, uh, retail, office space. Um, and and it, it really is a dynamic investment, and, and, and it's, it could potentially create uh, 18,000 construction jobs, another 23,000 permanent jobs, um, the mixed-use housing, a new MBTA station, um, and that's just from $14 million. Uh, a similar project over in, Re, over in um, Revere at the uh, Wonderland station. Um, they had a uh, garage that was, they were looking for money for. They had the uh, design set. They had the um, um, uh, plans ready to go, and they were able to obtain some stimulus money to build this garage. What's that, what that's allowing them to do then is to take the surface parking lots that they have and turn it over to a developer similar to what they're doing over in Somerville uh, to create this mixed-use uh, development. About $30 million of investment could end up being about uh, half a billion dollars uh, in a development. Well, why doesn't the government do this more often? You know, it sort of seems like uh, it, this this dumping of, of, and I mean it in a good way, dumping of money uh, onto a state to sort of spur on projects that have already been planned and vetted and, and ready to go, whether it be research and development or garages that can be turned into mixed use. And, you know, when all is said and done, it's not um, – we spend a lot more money on, on a lot uh, – things that give us a lot less on our return. Yeah, you can make that argument. And uh, may, maybe it just takes a crisis to do it. You know, I don't know. I mean, clearly there are ideological and political uh, differences going on here about the efficacy of the stimulus and about the need for the stimulus and who should do the stimulus, you know. There's a legitimate question, I think, by some people who are opposed to this type of government investment about whether or not this is the government's job to do it. Um, when you look, for instance, at some of the investments in the alternative energies, you have people looking at evergreen solar and, and saying, well, you know, that's, that is uh, a perfect example of government's involvement in, in betting on the wrong uh, horse in the race. And I think that's one of the reasons why government doesn't do it, because you don't have 100 uh, percent – you don't have a consensus that this is the way to do it. And when it comes to projects that, that did not turn out well or are not looking good, that would be one of the ones. Um, it's potentially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the other, I, I guess a lot of it, too, comes down to what is, 
what you think the stimulus should be. What's the definition? What's a success? For instance, um, one of the things that I found in looking was a um, renovation project the IRS Center up in uh, Andover. Uh, included in that was uh, about a $450,000, uh, $750,000 piece of art um, by a Brooklyn artist. It's a uh, statue, uh, a sculpture, and a wall hanging. Now, people are going to look at that and say, what are we spending $750,000 on that for? How, how does that stimulate the economy? Well, overall, there was about $9.5 million spent in Massachusetts through the National uh, uh, Foundation for the Arts, um, or National Endowment for the Arts. And what people tend to forget is that artists are part of the economy. Mm -hmm. You know, no, they don't hammer nails. No, they don't, you know, stand on shovels and dig holes or put up iron. But that is part of the economy. Well, it's, a, it, it, it's fascinating to me, too, because I know that also some of the new technologies that artists are using have applications for, for other, you know, I know there's a tile uh, maker in uh, Fort Point Channel who, who is able to reproduce the sort of tile art with, a, with a, uh, a computerized automated machine, which certainly will have further, further use. And yeah, I didn't find as, as much of that investment as, as you would think mm -hmm. would be there. And I don't know the reason. If I had to guess, I would think that people are gun shy about it because of, you know, the the um, criticism that folks would would you know give against something like an art project oh, being right. costing I'm, so much. I'm old enough to remember the old project, uh, the uh, law that they had in Massachusetts that one percent of uh, um, any public building had to contain art, and there was that giant bird clock that they had hanging in the. Uh, addition uh, at the state house that just became the focus of uh, government waste and spending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk, talk a little bit too about um, when we think we'll we'll know how this went. I mean, there's there's never really an endpoint to judge how the, the the stimulus did, what the performance is on it. One would hope that it continues to give and continues to work. But is there a point where we can judge how well it did? You know, I think right now we can judge, and, and but I think it comes down to. Um, to ideology, unfortunately, um, you know, there's there's already been a couple of uh, uh, books out looking at it. There's another one coming out, and and they both have um, a specific uh, view on whether or not it, it was successful. Um, the Weekly um, uh, Standard today, it's a conservative magazine, had a uh, piece saying that uh, every stimulus job that was created cost two hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars. Well, yeah, the numbers do work out that way, but that's also when you're adding in the entitlement programs, Medicaid spending, uh, tax credits. Um, but what you don't look, what people don't look at is, and, and there's no specific way to gauge um, that money that went to the person who was on unemployment to be able to purchase food, to be able to pay for their housing, to be able to continue to um, pay for gas in their car. That all goes back into the economy. Um, I think overall, the jury is out as far as whether or not it, it did what the New Deal did, and I'm not sure that we're going to get that return until much further down the line, but I think you can look at it right now and say that it stopped things from getting worse. That's not a great selling point, you know? <laughs> I mean, when, when you're looking at unemployment at 10 percent and, you know, sustained um, recession, to say, well, it could have been worse is, is not the kind of marketing tool you want. But the bottom line is that it did save millions of jobs and, and potentially created millions of jobs as well. And obviously the urge to compare it to, to FDR's program is is overwhelming and folks will do that. How does it line up? How, do, how, does, how does what happened today line up against the FDR New Deal? When you look at it as part of the uh, uh, gross national product and as a uh, portion of federal revenues, it paled in comparison. Granted, you know it was it was so much larger in raw dollars, uh, but the uh, the New Deal um, was uh, 165 percent of what the feder annual fe federal revenues were at that time, whereas this one was about 27 percent. And it was a much smaller piece of the gross national product as compared to the New Deal. Um, so it, 
it, it could have been bigger, believe it or not. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH and online at WGBH.org. We're talking about how Massachusetts has been spending its share of the federal stimulus package. I'm joined by Jack Sullivan, an investigative reporter for Commonwealth Magazine. Jack, one of the other... Um, Topics which I, or, or parts of the, your story which I find fascinating is that most people just hear this big number and never think about it again until they see a sign on on the roadway. What do you think is the public's uh, level of interest on this? Is there a place that they can go to, besides your your article at Commonwealth Magazine, to sort of see where the money got spent and to learn more about um, where the money has been invested? You act. To, that is one thing that they they try to make sure that they can do is be as transparent as possible with this. If they go to uh, recovery.gov, G-O-V, that's the federal website for where the money went. And there's a pretty good breakdown as to where, uh, what each state got. And um, it has a list of vendors. You can search by vendors, search by town, uh, search by congressional district. And if you want to see what Massachusetts uh, spent, you can go to mass.gov slash recovery, and that'll put you into the uh, state website. One of the problems is is that the numbers are apples and oranges. They don't necessarily track the same uh, type of monies. Um, the state doesn't didn't keep track of the money that was directly granted from the uh, 28 uh, federal departments and agencies. The federal government didn't track tax credits or uh, entitlement programs online anyway, so you have to go to the individual uh, places, the individual departments for that. But between those two, you can get a pretty good sense of uh, where the money has been spent, and it also tells you how many jobs have been created for that particular quarter. Was there any um, money designated for public education? Uh, oh, quite a bit. Yeah. In, in Massachusetts, um, there was uh, roughly $1.9 billion um, that went uh, to it. There was race to the top money. Mm-hmm. There was uh, special needs, uh, special education money. Uh, quite a bit of money went to retain jobs and to fill in budget holes at the municipal level. So, yeah, there was there were approximately 2,800 education jobs that were saved in Massachusetts directly through uh, stimulus money. And moving forward, does this put uh, towns and and employers in sort of a box for the next budgeting process that they have these positions saved for a short term and then they're not they're not funded for the following year. Yeah, there, there are going to be some towns that are um, that are going to be up against it this year with the uh, town meetings and the town budgets that they're going to be voting on. Um, there are going to be layoffs. You know, the money just it, it it was a one-time infusion, and there's been nothing to be able to back it up. Um, so yeah, people are going to be facing that. You know, a lot of criticism uh, came out after uh, the, the 9-11 Homeland Security funding about where, t- which towns and which states and which areas of the country got what kind of money. And, you know, does a small town officer in the middle of the country need the same sort of materials and tools and information that a New York City police officer might need? Is are, Can we prepare to have some of that blowback from a national level, do you think? I know that you were focusing on Massachusetts, but uh, will there be some criticism about who got what and how much? Well, it, it, I guess it, it depends on how you look at it. We did a little bit of that in Massachusetts. We took a look at it. There was money that was appropriated to Massachusetts companies, uh, but when you when you burrow down into it a little bit more, you see that the jobs that they're creating are actually in other states. Um, and, and I'm sure it happened in other states as well. For instance, uh, some of the um, research grants that were allocated to different colleges, universities, and hospitals around the country ended up flowing into Massachusetts uh, uh, research centers. Um, so it, it, if people look at it overall, they're going to be able to find examples of monies that were supposed to be dedicated to their states and ended up elsewhere. One of the things that we looked at in Massachusetts, we ranked 13th in population. We ranked 12th in uh, in, in total dollars. Not a big change, but you know, there that means that somebody who was ranked, who who has a little more population, is going to be a little bit lower in the monies that they get. You know, this is such a thick and dense subject, as you know, <laughs> because I'm sure I'm sure you're still dreaming of numbers. Because I'm thick and dense, and <laughs> we matched up well. On you're it. fine. You're good. It's a good match. Um, you know, I wonder. 
is there opportunity here for uh, the, the, the politically minded to, to break this apart to use against one party or the other? I mean, it just is so dense. I can't imagine being able to, 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 to condense it to a one-line or two-line uh, party attack. Oh, actually, or they probably will, though. But it, it pro- More than the economy, it stimulated political uh, mm-hmm. um, debate, absolutely. Um, like I said, there there's a uh, a couple of books out in the market right now that um, that that take a critical look at it. There's one coming out by uh, Mike Grunwald, who's a senior um, national correspondent for Time Magazine. And from what I understand in reading of the summary, uh, his research uh, bodes well for uh, President Obama and his argument that that it actually did do a lot of good. Um, so yes, it's there. Absolutely, is going to be a, a political angle to it. What is is it? Just sort of the human condition that we want to quantify all this too. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm asking you to summarize how it's done so far when I know that you know there are still things from the New Deal that we we couldn't call a game on yet. Sixty five percent of us wanted to uh, quantify it. <laughs> Uh, One out of ten. Everybody, I, I think you you always want to have that tangible number. You know that that something that you can grasp on and say this worked or absolutely this didn't work. Human nature, like you said. Um, but the bottom line is that it's it's about perception. You know they they sold it as a job creating program um, when clearly half of it went to entitlement and safety net programs. Um, but nobody ever tried to disabuse people of this notion of what it was uh, or, or, or what they thought it was. And I think that that's probably the biggest failing of it is that they didn't accurately portray it so people have a clear-eyed view of what it is. Do you have any detail on, on what sorts of um, research and development was funded by this? Was oh, it medical it, or? Actually, a lot. there was a lot of alternative energy, but uh, cancer research, for instance, uh, $250 million in Massachusetts in cancer research alone, um, which is uh, significant. There was monies that went to uh, um, finding a cure and the cause for herpes simplex, which uh, uh, nobody's really thrown a lot of money that way. Uh, Harvard Medical uh, Harvard Public School of Public Health got over $45 million in grants that that allowed them to continue some research that had started under the National Institute of Health but had to be suspended because of the way that the economy was and that the lack of uh, um, research money is available. Um, like I said, there's, there's some dynamic um, – uh, efforts in uh, alternative energy uh, programs, photovoltaic uh, wafers uh, that that need to start being manufactured for solar uh, plants. So um, those are the kinds of things. What's next on tap for you, a Commonwealth magazine? Something I can't a little tell bit you. light, you can't secret. <laughs> something not um, to cover. It just just another thick and dense uh, <laughs> approach. Well, that's good. We look forward to it because it's right up our alley as well. So thanks so much, Jack, for joining us. And uh, we fo- direct folks over to Commonwealth Magazine. We've been looking at how Massachusetts has been spending the, our share of the federal stimulus package. Jack Sullivan is an investigative journalist for Commonwealth Magazine. You can read the article over at commonwealthmagazine.org. The stimulus conversation will continue on a micro level. We'll be talking to some locals who are working to reboot small businesses by way of cash mobs. This is 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. This program is made possible thanks to you and Boston Playwrights Theatre presenting the 14th annual Boston Theatre Marathon, 53 10-minute plays by 53 New England playwrights in 10 hours, May 20th. Tickets at bostonplaywrights.org. And Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, offering complete health care for you and your family. With 21 locations across greater Boston, Harvard Vanguard welcomes new patients and accepts most insurance. CareMadeEasy.org, an affiliate of Atreus Health.
and the members of the WGBH Sustainer Program, whose gifts of five, ten, or twenty dollars a month make up the most reliable income for the programs you love on 89.7. Learn more about sustaining membership at WGBH.org. On the next Fresh Air, Audra McDonald. She's up for her fifth Tony Award for her performance in Porgy and Bess. Join us. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. If you can keep me, to stay. For 47 years now, the WGBH Spring Auction has been your chance to pick up some amazing deals. Welcome, welcome at last, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Channel 2 Auction. This year, you can bid on a brand new Toyota Prius, donated by your New England Toyota dealers. Bigger and better than ever. Every winning bid supports WGBH radio and television. If you have stamina and strong eyesight, stay with us. Bid high, bid often, but hurry. The Spring Auction ends May 31st. Place your bids now at auction.wgbh.org. Imagine a lottery where the jackpot is a place to live. Hundreds apply, but only a few win. I wanted to move so badly. I'm Philip Martin. Tomorrow, join me for a report on Boston's elder housing crisis and possible solutions on WGBH's Morning Edition. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. I'm Sue O'Connell, sitting in for Callie. We're talking about economic stimulus this hour, from federal government to grassroots efforts, and by that, I mean cash mobs. The idea behind cash mobs, which I'm just going to keep saying like that, is to encourage folks to go into small, local businesses and spend their money in mass. And joining me to talk about this are Larry Marino and Carlos Vargas. They're behind Cash Mobs Dorchester, and on the line from Malden is Ron Cochran, He's the Director of Online Services and Communication Technology for the City of Malden. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank right. you. Larry, I'm going to start with you. Talk a little bit about uh, where this idea for Cash Mob came from. Well, actually, Carlos saw something on the Globe that Ron ran out in Malden, and it, the, the idea just kind of took hold from there. We, all right. Well, then, Ron, we're going to go to you. Tell me about where this idea for Cash Mobs came from. Sure. So uh, I'm a big uh, reader of TechCrunch, which is a popular uh, service that describes all, all that's hot in tech and on the web. And uh, this concept of the cash mob um, came up on one of the articles, and it really fascinated me. It was out of Cleveland. It was sort of born out of a concept. I think it was an attorney who originally had the concept, and I read into it. And uh, it was really one of the first things I thought about when and, uh, we took office, I probably should say we're a new administration here in Malden. Mayor Gary Christensen took over in January, and uh, one of the things that he made very clear was that business was high up on his uh, list of things, and we come up with new and innovative ideas, and this was presented in front of him, and uh, good, you know, kudos to him. He let us run with it. And, Ron, basically what it is, you notify citizens <laughs> that uh, a cash mob is occurring at a certain uh, vendor or store or business, and folks are urged to show up and spend a little dime. Yeah. So there was a there was base it was a basic set of criteria. Obviously, it wasn't something that was a hard you know hard set of rules, but something to go by, and uh, that is to show up at a business. Uh, but more importantly, notify that business so that they're adequately prepared for the influx of business that they would have. And, uh, you know, just basically promote around that and let people know that, yeah, we're going down there. Get, usually give them uh, some sort of uh, number of dollars that they'll spend between 10 and $20 is what we suggested. You know, so you don't want to break anybody's bank account, but you want to make it meaningful to the business. And uh, Larry and Carlos, to you guys in, in, in Dorchester, you're sort of doing the same thing. Uh, how are you notifying folks and how are you choosing a vendor uh, to, to, to mob? It's funny. Uh, in Stoughton, uh, we also run the Stoughton Cash Mob because mm. we have an office in Stoughton. And uh, we, uh, we post a vote on Facebook. And uh, we look for folks to recommend local businesses, and then we post eight or ten of them up. And at the end of a certain day, the business that has the most votes, then that's who we're going to cash mob the following week. So, so we try to kind of leave it to a, a vote, trying to get everybody involved. And we're following that that model in Dorchester. We we posted a list of seven or eight businesses up on the Facebook page this morning, um, and votes started coming in. We'll pick one Thursday morning at eight o'clock. 
Um, and rather than announce it the day of the mobbing, we're going to announce it Thursday morning. Well, after I talk to the business. Yeah, I can imagine for the business it might be a, a bit of a challenge on an inventory standpoint or a sure. staffing because I know from some of these uh, coupon deals sure. that we Absolutely. all, you know, are inundated with that, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not careful, you end up perhaps giving people bad service because you're not prepared or you don't have the products that they need. So you give them a, a heads up, the vendors. We do. Okay. We, we absolutely do. Um, but- and we learned that from Ron. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> no problem. And I think I've learned something from you. I love the idea of uh, putting up businesses and letting the residents vote on it. I wish we uh, were had enough forethought to do that. Yeah, Maybe Ron, I was going to ask how, you know, as a, as a city entity over in Malden, you, you don't want to be in the business of picking some businesses over other businesses because I can imagine what a kind yeah. of a nightmare that would be. Absolutely. So- and we were very sensitive to that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we wanted to be very careful in how we approach that. Um, the business we picked was a business that was really struggling at the time. In fact, was even posting messages on his own Facebook account that he was ready to sell his furniture and pack it up. And um, as it turns out, he has no competitors um, around the city that do the same thing that he does. And I, it was just really a kind of a culmination of the the perfect storm of things, you know, for to have it happen. But, yeah, for the next one that we wind up doing, um, we're going to have to think a lot about that because, uh, yeah. And, and, and the other thing, too. And that was is a it, cannoli business, right? Was that- yeah, that's right, yes. He's the Cannoli Guy Cafe uh, on Main Street in Malden, who's uh, fantastic cannolis. And, uh, you know, that was an and easy thing, that's a lot of too. cannolis to fill, though. That would be. <laughs> yeah. I've been in the bakery business. So he was um, he was adequately prepared and uh, probably could have fed the entire city of Malden one cannoli apiece, um, according to his inventory levels. But uh, it was a smash hit. He recorded selling up to three weeks' worth of business in one day. Any um, feedback, Carlos, from from your vendors, your stores, on on how much money they're they're bringing in, or what the response is? And you know, from a business standpoint, I imagine the the the, the cost of a lead, as we say, right. you know, getting someone to come in for the first time and having a good experience and getting a new customer. Right. We've had uh, five cash mobs in Stoughton. Uh, we started off doing them on a weekly base, and. Um, most of most of the merchants report, you know, 15, 30 people come in and they say that they're there with the mob. Um, and we have a gift that we yep. hand everybody. You have a little one bracelet, of the, one of those little rubber you know, bracelets that so, say, uh, thank you for supporting our cash mob. Right. So everybody gets one of those that says that they're there with the mob. Um, and, and, you know, so if we get 15 to 30 people that come in, uh, our first one in Stoughton was at the Stoughton Bakery. And uh, a lot of folks didn't even know that we had a Stoughton Bakery. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hidden. And uh, five or six people said to me, I didn't even know that we had a Stoughton Bakery. So she's gained five or six new customers. Uh, she saw, I think she said 31 people they came through that day. Uh, they all received something from her. And uh, she saw maybe 15, 20% increase in sales, mm-hmm. which is uh, for a little struggling That's a lot. bakery. That's a Right. So she was very happy. And Larry, if folks are, are listening uh, in their own hometowns or their own neighborhoods and they want to launch a, a cash mob, what's your advice? Boy, start with a Facebook page. Yep. Um, we're creating a blog for it today to support it. Um, Ron, you did that early on, right? Yeah, we, we actually started a blogger page um, just because it was the most low amount of overhead. Um, Google blogger page uh, probably had the page up in about half an hour and then uh, Twitter account soon thereafter and then just kind of bounced you know back and forth between Facebook and Twitter trying to generate the buzz it worked pretty well and then just talk to people like you we we went to the Dorchester reporter we had press on the Boston Globe um, and they're pointing to our cash mob page um, the last time I looked, I think we had 340 members in Cash Mob Dorchester. Cash Mob Stoughton is is pretty About close to that too. But the same, and we're and we're posting it on on Patch as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, the little Patch local online newspaper is right. kind of giving us a little more of a. And what do you guys get out of this? It, it, it's funny. I I, I get. Um, I work for a company that's really socially conscious. I mean, we like mm-hmm. to give back. Uh, we do well. Um, and this is our way of just giving back to the community. It's also um, 
our way of maybe exposing some of the little merchants that don't really understand social media, mm -hmm. uh, that this could be a win-win at a very low cost, just a little time involved. So from Vargas Insurance standpoint, it's just a way to give back to the communities that we do business in. And from Ron, our, go ahead, Ron. Yeah, from our perspective, it was, you know, it's similar, um, but it's different and, you know, it comes from the city government side of things. And, you know, we were very interested in, in boosting our local economy. And um, just like was mentioned, you know, a lot of times these people don't really realize that these things are available. You know, they might go to a Mike's Pastry in the North End, hmm. not ever realizing that they could have just stumbled down to Malden Square and got themselves a wonderful cannoli. Um, and then, you know, this awareness really kind of builds that sense of community that you have a place in your area. And, uh, you know, we here at City Hall, we wanted to make people aware that we're pro-business and we wanted to invigorate, you know, the local economy. And there's actually, there's figures out there that say that um, you can actually uh, sometimes triple the amount of money that goes back into your community if you buy, if you just simply buy local. So if it's something you can buy in your local city, you know, with the tax revenue, with the jobs that stay local, um, it really is a no-brainer, and it's that awareness thing. Well, I you know, I'm always struck, and I think each of us uh, have had that experience where you, you, you have something local in your neighborhood, you maybe go there once, you like it, but you don't get back, you know, just because life is busy, and then it closes. Sure. And yeah. then you're horrified that it closed, right, right. and you feel guilty that it closed because you liked it, and you kind of get the connection between uh, shopping locally and supporting local business. And, and this sort of is a, an opportunity to really highlight those small businesses, um, you know, so it's a, it's, a, it's a great movement. What's the downside? Are there any downsides? Besides running out of inventory, or I, we've only done two cash mobs in Dorchester, but I, I I've made at least six or seven new friends. I mean that I I can't find a downside to it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're having a ball. Yeah, it's just I'm doing it to have fun. And we, and we've learned that out of every hundred dollars that gets spent at a local mom and pop, seventy three cents stays or seventy three dollars. Yeah. Versus where the big boxes mm -hmm. only like fifty cents or forty three cents gets uh, is is kept local. So it's also a way to, as uh, Ron said, to kind of help your local. Uh, Absolutely. I, I may have had a bad dream or two about uh, bad cannoli cream, uh, you know, spoiling foodborne illness upon yeah. the citizens of Malden. But, you know, the way I think we, what we try to do is when we say, look, we're just stimulating. It's no different than when the economy tries to, when at the federal level, when they stimulate, they don't, you know, this is money. They've, they've done their due diligence. Now go with it and, and do what we know you can do best. And that is generate the business on your own. So we tried to separate ourselves. We said, we're going to get you there and then we'll let you take it from there. Well, Carlos, you, uh, you could speak to this as well as I can imagine with the tightening of the credit markets for small businesses, the ability to tap into cash right. uh, is very hard. And also the high percentage that the credit card companies take when you pay for something by ATM card or by credit Somebody. card. If someone comes in with $5, $10 cash money, yeah. uh, and it's an infusion into the company when they already have the inventory, right. uh, it could really make a huge difference in a small business in terms of just having cash on hand. A absolutely, because you're not paying all the fees, as, as you said, that, uh, that And even if you, you are, you're still, you know, that's right. still money getting into your bank account right. in a couple of days. And so. if it's a customer that you wouldn't normally have seen, it's actually a win-win for the, the business. Oh, absolutely. And the customers. When we went to um, Seven Scoop uh, right. last week or the week before. At Seven they, Hill in Dorchester. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Um, the owner or manager, Joe. Joe told me that he had met 10 people that were first-time customers mm -hmm. there that he'd never seen before. That, And he, he's just such a personable guy. I know every one of them is going to go back. And the, the product is that good, whether you get a coffee or an ice cream. He's or, getting free ice cream for the rest of his life. We can see it right now, <laughs> right, Larry? You saw me walk in here. <laughs> I have a face for radio. I eat. <laughs> so, Ron, what's what's next for, for the city of Malden and, and cash mobs? Uh, you know, you have a more delicate line to walk here. So uh, what, what what's your plan in, in implementing and getting more businesses involved? Well, I, I tell you, honestly, I will take that uh, that piece of advice or the you know the technique that they were using uh, with regard to voting on it because we've done a lot of that now where we've you know co the collective wisdom you know sort of crowdsourcing the next uh, cash mob. I, I think we will probably 
take that on. We did have uh, there's a couple of small businesses, local long-term businesses that have commitments to Malden. In one case, we looked at a business that's been in our city for over 80 years and uh, spans three generations. So, you know, you look at businesses like that. That's the kind of people that you really, you know, the salt of the earth that you want to stay in and around Malden because they're really anchor businesses for others that we're trying to attract uh, to Malden. And we're certainly very proactive about that. And Larry, what's uh, next for Savin Hill? We asked all of our, our Facebook friends to give us a list of small businesses that they like. Most of them I've never heard of. Um, and I've been in Dorchester for 20 years. But we put up a vote this morning. Um, we're going to pick one of those on Thursday morning and, and announce where it's going to be for Small Business Week next week. Great. And, Carlos, you you planning on moving, uh, expanding outside of the Stoughton area as well? No, I, I just, you know, uh, we like to keep it in the communities that we do business in. I think we need to be, keep it local drum more. That, and Absolutely. that's really where the whole cash, yep. the whole cash mob uh, process or concept comes you know, in. I, I think it's also, you know, it's funny. I have I have mixed feelings about some of the big big box stores. You know, I grew up in uh, in Revere, and we had a a hardware store back in the 60s that everyone in our neighborhood hated, you know, because the service was lousy. He was cranky. You could never find anything. And, and, you know, so when big box stores came in like a Home Depot, I was like, whew, this is, this is nice. This is service. But at the same time, you know, giving these, uh, these small business owners the opportunity to be ready for it gives them a moment to shine as well. You know, you kind of catch them at, at their best Right. And uh, really, you know, bring a, a business up a bit, up up a notch where they might need it. Sure, exactly. But they get a little bit of free publicity out of it too, which yep. which doesn't hurt. No, not yeah. at all. You guys thinking you're, you're partnering with uh, the Patch folks, you, right. With yep. your local papers as yep. well, the, the, the Dorchester, Dorchester Reporter. Reporter, exactly. And with you, Ron, are you uh, connected with the Malden newspapers and websites? Yes, absolutely. So we put out, we 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 reached out through the social networks to the to local. We have a patch as well. It's very active, but all of our uh, we 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 put them all on alert. And I think that's how the word got out. Uh, I don't know if you knew about it, but there was a as actually a Globe article. Uh, the following day in the front page of the business section. So That's it really how was. we heard about you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it all comes together thanks to so newspapers yes. and radio. Very much so. <laughs> yes. All right, great. Well, we wish you all luck. This has uh, been fun talking from the top to the bottom about economic stimulus with our focus right now on cash box. Kind of like jazz hands, only, you know, you have to say it like that. I've been talking with Larry Marino, Carlos Vargas, uh, the brawn behind Cash Mobs, Dorchester, and Ron Cochran, the Director of Online Services and Communication Technology for the City of Malden. I'm Sue O'Connell. I've been in for Callie Crossley. I'll be back tomorrow for more local radio. We're a production of WGBH Boston Public Radio.